0: Good morning. Welcome to worship this morning. Why don't you stand to your feet as we begin, as we sing together, proclaiming God's great salvation in our lives. Sing with me. I believe in the sun. I believe in the risen. I believe I overcome by the power of his blood.
1: It's interesting that oftentimes here in the West, we talk about reading the Bible, but in Jesus's Jewish world, they talk about eating the Bible or feasting on the Bible. Welcome to the gospel on the ground, the grit and glory of the early church. My name is Christy McClellan, and I want to invite you to this seven session biblical feast. For the past 14 years, I have been serving the church by teaching the Bible through its original historical, cultural, geographic, and linguistic context. I function like a time machine. I'm going to take you back into the biblical world to get a better understanding of what the biblical authors were writing and what the biblical characters were doing. In the book of Acts, we are getting ready to learn the gospel gorgeous story of how the gospel moved from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and unto the ends of the earth. We're getting ready to watch the kingdom of God move into a world of empire with restoration, redemption, renewal, and salvation. So if you're tired of living out your faith alone, If you need to be reminded in a much deeper sense of what this beautiful kingdom of God is and how you and I are being invited deeper and deeper into it. If you wanna be refreshed and renewed in understanding that the gospel is still moving along the ground, that the New Testament church is alive and well in the earth, then I wanna invite you to this seven session biblical feast. There is a seat at this table for you. Let's go lay hold of it together.
2: Good Good to see you all here this morning. Ladies, that looks like an incredible opportunity For spiritual growth Uh, I know that you will want to take part in this Bible study that begins on June the second on Thursdays there's two options there's one at 10 in the morning and then there's also one at 630 in the afternoon Um, and if you want more information or you want to sign up for this event uh, visit the the desk in the Welcome Center back here And we'll make sure that you get signed up for this incredible journey together, uh, studying the early church in the book of Acts. looks like a great opportunity, so please don't miss that. Um, We'd like to welcome everyone here this morning to our worship services, Uh, especially if you're visiting with us. uh, We simply ask that you take a care card that is in the pew back in front of you, put the information on it that's asked for, and then turn that in to one of our staff people, or you can turn it in in the boxes in uh, the foyer here. We just want to have a recollection of your visit, get back with you and to say, thank you for being with us today. Uh, Also on the back of that care card is a place for prayer requests for anybody to fill out. Again, you can turn it in the same way, but we are certainly glad that you are here worshiping with us today. Don't forget that tonight at five o'clock in the core gym, Uh, We're going to have a farewell reception for Amy and Joel and their two girls um, as they begin this new adventure in their life. So we want to come tonight and wish them well and thank them for their service of being here for eight years. What an incredible job that Amy and Joel uh, have done in leading our children's ministry program. So I know that you will want to come and express your gratitude to her and Joel. So don't miss tonight at five o'clock in the gym. Uh, Now, you know, for a few weeks we asked that you went by uh, uh, the foyer here in the lobby to uh, update your information, emails, pictures, phone numbers, and things like that. Now that we've garnered all that information, we're putting that into our church community app. It's called Realm. Uh, Many of you already have Realm. It sort of acts like a church directory online. And so what we want you to do, if you do not have that, um, you'll be receiving an email, and then you just simply activate your Realm account. Now, if you're not receiving an email, please let the church office know Uh, But before you let the church office know we just simply ask that you check your junk mail or your spam mail It may have gone to that instead of coming directly to your inbox So make sure that you're getting this email so that you can stay uh, uh, Connected with our church. It's simple You just uh, type in a name and you get that person's information if you're looking up a phone number or an email address for somebody it's just very simple. It makes it very easy to do. So make sure that you're plugged in to our church that way. Also, if you're a family and are looking for mission opportunities this summer, uh, our missions committee is going to help with that. All they need is you to go by the, the welcome desk in the foyer and give us your information and then they will email you of local missions opportunities that you can be involved in. So make sure that you're taking advantage of that. Um, as we uh, have our scripture and, and prayer time today, I want to ask you to remember uh, a couple of items. Number one, Sharon Kaiser's mom passed away this week and they are having uh, uh, their funeral, her funeral today at two o'clock at Hartzel's up off of Branchview uh and so at twelve thirty they will receive friends and then at two o'clock there um, will be the funeral so make sure that that family is in your prayers also and then if you notice a hole in our church which because a bunch of our college students are uh on the beach retreat and so they're actually coming back today so we want to to remember them in prayer uh, that they be kept safe so um, With that said, let's give our attention to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. It says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind but god being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with christ by grace you have been saved and raised up with him And seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works that no man may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this incredible promise from the book of Ephesians that we are saved by grace. Father, it does not and it cannot depend on our goodness. For if that were the case, no one would ever enter the gates of heaven but because of your perfect son the lord jesus who lived a sinless life and died in our place we have redemption we have reconciliation we have fellowship with you and it's all because of your grace father i pray that this morning That is what motivates us to want to love you, to want to sing about you, to want to worship you. Father, I pray that that be the reason that we are here this morning, that we can learn more about you so that we can be made in the image of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Help us, Lord, to that end. God, we come and we lift up um, Sharon and her family to you. We ask, Lord, that you would uh, just comfort them in their time of need let them know that you are there with them walking through this valley father give them a peace that passes all understanding lord god we thank you so much for our epic ministry and for the way kevin and sherry lead that lord we pray that they've had a productive weekend at the beach studying your word but we ask now that as they make their way back home, that you would watch over them and bless them and keep them safe. Now, Father, as we continue in worship, I pray that the name of the Lord Jesus is high and lifted up, that it would draw all people under yourself. And I pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.
0: What is our home? in life and death, Christ alone, Christ alone, what is our only confidence, that our souls to him belong, who holds our days within his hand, what comes apart from his command, and what will keep the love of Christ on which we stand. Oh, sin, hallelujah! Our hope springs eternal. Oh, sing hallelujah! Now and ever we confess Christ our hope and life. troubled soul God is good God is good where is his grace and goodness known in our great redeemer's blood who holds our faith when fears arise who stands above the storm we who sends the waves that bring us nigh unto the shore, the rock The pain in his life was the cost.
3: name was Lazarus, brother of Mary and Martha, friend of Jesus. One day Lazarus became ill, and so his sisters sent word to Jesus, saying, Lord, the one you love is sick. When it was time, Jesus came to the house where Lazarus was, but the man, Lazarus, was already dead. Jesus was deeply moved and troubled, so he wept, but through his tears jesus knew that this had to happen for god's glory would be put on display that day like never before jesus approached the tomb of his friend and with a thundering voice he cried lazarus come darkness possessed by demons that controlled her mind and corrupted her soul but as mary soon found out demons are no match for the son of god jesus healed mary casting out her demons and restoring her heart to his and the darkness within her had no more power her mourning turned to dancing her sorrow turned to joy and mary humble and grateful responded with surrender following the one who set her free. His name was Simon Peter, fisherman by trade, disciple of Jesus. As a friend in Jesus' inner circle, Peter was witness to the many miracles and healings of the Messiah. Peter's strong faith and sharp tongue would be emboldened continuously for the work of Christ. When Jesus was arrested and stood trial, Peter denied knowing him three times. But in Peter's brokenness, God was already beginning to restore him, preparing his faith to be unshaken, preparing his tongue to preach the truth. For Peter, everything was about to change. In a place called Golgotha, Jesus was nailed to a cross to die, his friends and family watching in horror as he breathed his last breath. Was this how it would end? This Jesus, the King of the Jews, the promised Messiah, reduced to public death on a criminal's cross? He raised Lazarus from the tomb. He cast out Mary's demons. He taught his disciples everything they needed to know, and yet, it is finished? What kind of savior is this? Our Savior displayed
0: on a criminal cross.
4: Darkness rejoiced
0: as though heaven had crossed.
3: They carried his body from the cross to a borrowed grave. A Great stone was rolled across the entrance to the tomb and Roman soldiers were appointed to stand guard. There, Jesus' lifeless body laid for three days. Suddenly, there was a violent earthquake. An angel of the Lord came down from heaven and rolled the stone away. Oh death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? With breath in his lungs and all power from heaven, Jesus Christ rose from the dead, came forth from the grave and set us free.
4: God's people said? Amen. Amen. Find the gospel of Mark. Am I, I don't believe I'm on yet. Am I on? There it comes. Find the gospel of Mark in your copy of the scripture. I'm excited uh, for the next number of weeks as we go through the summertime to preach the gospel of Mark. You know, on a Sunday morning I've preached through John's gospel a number of years ago. Uh, But I've never preached through one of the synoptic Gospels. uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are referred to as synoptic Gospels, meaning the same or similar. Because you read the first three Gospels and they're very much the same. They record many of the same events, obviously from... Each perspective of the individual writers, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke are very similar. And so we're going to go through the shortest of these, the Gospel of Mark. And we're going to celebrate the fact that the king has come. The king has come. And this morning we're going to look at the first eight verses of chapter 1, talking about the announcement of the arrival uh, of, of the king. And so I want to ask you to find Mark chapter 1. Before we get into the message uh, on Mark 1, I do want to go through just a few housekeeping matters like I generally do at the beginning of any book study. And I don't want to go very deep here, but I do want to give you some introductory thoughts that will help you to understand the gospel of Mark a little bit better. First of all, I want you to understand... That the gospel of Mark is a picture of grace. We first meet John Mark in the book of Acts. In Acts 13 we see the beginning of Paul's first missionary journey. The Holy Spirit gave instruction to the church to set Paul and Barnabas aside for the work to which he had called them. And when they left, we see in Acts 13 verse 5 that they carry along a young man with them. A young man by the name of John Mark. And John goes as a helper. John goes as a servant to the first missionary team. That's really all we know about John Mark at this point. And then in Acts 13, a little bit later on, we're told that Mark actually abandoned uh, Paul and Barnabas. And he went back, not to the church at Antioch that had commissioned this three-man team, but he went back to Jerusalem. Was he ashamed to go back to the church at Antioch and say that he had bailed? on the missionary journey. Uh, Again, we're not told. We're just told that John deserted them and went back to Jerusalem. Well, in Acts 14, we see that the first missionary journey continues. And then if we were to read and see how the chapter closes, we would see Paul and Barnabas going back to the church at Antioch and they report to that church that sent them out everything that the Lord had done through them. And no word about Mark. We come to Acts 15 and we see that right after the first uh, church council, the Jerusalem council, Paul said to Barnabas, Barnabas, let's return to all of the churches that we planted and let's just check up on them and see how these new believers and new churches are doing well Barnabas wanted to go get John Mark to go along with them and Paul would not hear of it because Mark had deserted him on the first trip and the Bible says that such a sharp disagreement arose between Barnabas and Paul that they actually went their separate ways. Paul ended up taking a man by the name of Silas with him, and Barnabas ended up taking John Mark. Barnabas and Mark go to the island of Cyprus, and we do not hear much about them for quite a while. Ten years later, John Mark, his name, again shows up as Paul is in his first imprisonment, And he is writing the letter to the Colossians. He comes to chapter 4 of Colossians and he tells the Christians in the church there to welcome John Mark. So apparently things between Paul and Mark have been patched up. And then some years later Paul is imprisoned in Rome. His second imprisonment. And he knows he's not going to get out of prison this time. He's going to be martyred for the faith. And so he writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy, passing the baton to Timothy. And in 2 Timothy 4, he describes another deserter by the name of Demas. Who turned back to the world, loving the world more And then he goes on to tell Timothy there's some things that he would like Timothy to bring him before winter comes. So he'll have those items there with him in his prison cell. And then Paul says, and bring Mark, for he is useful uh, to me for the ministry. Folks, I want you to think about that. John Mark is the one individual that the Apostle Paul Wants to see again. Isn't that a beautiful story of friends coming back together? But folks, that's still not all. That 10 years that Mark seems to have dropped off the face of the earth, evidently he was in Rome with the Apostle Peter. From Jerusalem, he went to Rome to be with Peter. And Peter talks about Mark being like a son. To him. Mark hears Peter preach. Here's his account of Jesus' life and ministry. And he writes everything down. And so here is Matthew, a tax collector. Here is Mark, who had been a deserter restored. Here is Peter, who is a hot-headed fisherman. And here is John, James and John, the sons of thunder. Folks, these are the type of men that Jesus called to follow him isn't that encouraging they were imperfect men and Jesus called imperfect men as Paul says in 1 Corinthians one not many wise according to the flesh were called not many mighty not many noble But God chose the foolish things of the world to confound the the, the wise. Why would God do this? Well, Paul goes on to say, so that everybody will look at us who share the gospel and they won't be drawn to us, but they'll see the power of God working in and through us and they'll give glory to God. And so God calls very imperfect men and women to follow him. And folks, the good news of the Bible is you don't have to have a high position. You don't have to have a big title. You don't have to have a lot of money or a prominent background or a perfect track record even in order to be greatly used of God. Isn't that wonderful? The Lord is looking for men and women who will be surrendered. Men and women who will actually follow him and learn from him and listen to him. They might stumble their way through life at times. They might make some mistakes. But through repentance and faith, they get back in the saddle and they continue to grow. That's who God's looking for. That we continue to follow him and we continue to to grow we're to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord and our lives are to bear fruit for him in fact the New Testament says that's one of the marks that we're truly converted that we continue to follow the Lord continue to learn uh, from him and our lives continue to bear fruit that's one of the great assurances that the Bible gives us that we genuinely uh, belong to the Lord and have been regenerated Well, there's something else I want you to learn about this gospel. Something about the occasion and purpose of it. The overriding purpose of Mark seems to be, in the words of one New Testament scholar, to provide an apologetic, that is, a defense for the crucifixion of Jesus You see, the Roman world to whom Mark was writing, they viewed crucifixion in a very negative light. They were the ones who had mastered crucifixion from the Persians, but the Romans viewed it in a negative light because they believed if you had been, if you were going to be crucified, that meant that you were a really bad person. You were a criminal. You were a traitor. You'd done something awful. And so Mark is writing to show how Jesus' crucifixion was entirely different. Jesus' crucifixion was for the purpose of saving lost sinners. Jesus was and is the Messiah and he came to be a ransom for our sin. Mark is writing to a Roman audience largely. In fact, he'll take Aramaic phrases and and he'll translate them uh, into expressions that the Romans could understand. He'll take Greek expressions and, and he'll explain them by their Latin equivalents. And also Mark seems to paint the Romans. since he's writing to the Romans, he's painting the Romans in a little more positive light than you might find of the Romans in other places. Probably the key verse of the whole entire gospel of Mark would be Gospel uh, would be Mark 10:45, uh, that Jesus came to be a servant, and he gave his life as a ransom for our sin. I want you to understand there's a big change also that takes place in the Gospel of Mark after chapter 8. In chapter 8 we have Peter saying, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now previous to Peter's confession, everything has been pointing to the fact that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. He's the King who's finally come. But after Mark chapter 8, after Peter's confession, Mark changes gears and he shows that everything about Jesus, Jesus has his eyes pointed now towards Jerusalem. And he's preparing his disciples for what's going to happen to him once he arrives in Jerusalem. Now let me say also that in all probability Mark was the first gospel written. Early tradition put Matthew first and Mark being an abbreviation or an abridgment of Matthew. And that opinion held sway to early on in the 19th century. And in fact, because of that, Mark was virtually ignored for centuries. In the Sunday morning, lectionary readings around the world. You see, a lot of people didn't have copies of the Scripture, so churches would have lectionary readings. A lot of churches still do that. You'll come to church, and you'll hear an Old Testament reading, a New Testament reading, and probably a reading from the Psalms and Proverbs. And many churches still do those lectionary readings. And the reason they would do lectionary readings is so that people without a Bible could be exposed to the whole counsel of God. And for centuries, believe it or not, the Gospel of Mark was virtually ignored in all of these lectionary readings. But I want to say that since the 19th century, a 180 has been done. Looking at internal evidence of the Gospels, most now, in fact, it's pretty much the standard opinion, most now put Mark first. And I think they're correct in doing that because I won't get into all the details here, but it is a lot easier to explain why Matthew and Luke relied on Mark than to say on the other hand that Mark relied on Matthew. There's a lot of reasons that I won't get into on that. You say, well, why is Matthew first in our New Testament? Because Matthew is a very Jewish gospel written to Jewish folks with Jewish expressions. And so they would have seen Matthew being a very natural bridge going from the last book of the Old Testament to the first book of the New Testament. I want to point out some characteristics of the gospel of Mark. Mark's gospel focuses on Jesus. In fact, there's only two units of thought, two pericopes that are not about Jesus. Both of those pericopes are about John the Baptist. And one of them will be here in uh, Mark chapter 1. The other will be in Mark chapter 6. But every other story is going to be about Jesus. And Mark's also famous for using a sandwich structure. I'm not talking about ham and cheese and that sort of thing, but he'll be dealing with one person. Uh, One person will approach him and he'll be dealing with them. Somebody will come up and interrupt Jesus. He'll turn and deal with that person who interrupted him and whatever their need is, he'll deal with that, get that out of the way, and then he'll turn back to that original person he was dealing with. Mark's gospel is also a gospel of action. It's not a gospel of lengthy discourses. It's a very quick-moving narrative. And Mark is highlighting the words and actions of Jesus. One of the key words in the gospel of Matthew, which adds to the fast pace, is the word immediately. By far, the majority of times, the word immediately happens in the New Testament. Mark is actually the one using that word. He's going to use that word immediately some 42 times. Immediately Jesus went and did this. And then immediately he did this. And he did this. And he did that. And immediately he did that. That's how the gospel of Mark moves. And Mark uses a lot of action verbs. Mark is writing sort of like a newspaper writer would record something just fast, stochotic, uh, a staccato type method just moving quickly from one scene to the next. And sometimes Mark's uh, writing will be in chronological order and sometimes it won't. He, he might have a large section that's all combined together because of a common theme in all of those stories. And so he'll jump back between chronological order and thematic order. Mark bypasses the birth narratives and early years of Jesus altogether. He gets right into the beginning of the ministry of Jesus, beginning with his baptism and his wilderness temptations. Forty percent of Mark's gospel deals with the last eight days of Jesus' earthly life. Some have even described Mark's gospel as being a lengthy passion narrative passion refers to that last week of the suffering of Jesus culminating in his crucifixion some call mark a lengthy passion narrative or a a passion narrative with a lengthy introduction attached to it 40% of this gospel the last eight days And Mark's going to record a higher concentration of Jesus' miracles than any other gospel. And what Mark is going to emphasize is Jesus' authority. Jesus has authority over all things, over nature, over demons, over life itself, over death, over sickness. Jesus has authority. And he is the suffering servant that Isaiah spoke about that the Messiah would be a suffering servant. And Mark also talks about Jesus being the mighty son of the living God. Now let's read our text before we get into these first eight verses. Stand with me to give yourself a break. Beginning there in verse 1... Uh, Mark, Mark writes the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ the Son of God as it is written in Isaiah the prophet Behold I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way The voice of one crying in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord make his path straight After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Thank you. You may be seated. So, again, I just want you to notice here how Mark doesn't waste any time, whatever, with lengthy introductions. I mean, Mark just dives right in. Notice he completely ignores a genealogy of Jesus. Matthew and Luke have genealogies. Mark ignores this. For Matthew's purposes, for Matthew's audience, genealogies were very, very important. And Matthew is trying to show his audience how Jesus ties in with the line of Abraham and David showing how Jesus Christ is the son of both of Abraham and David just as the Bible said he would be. The Jews kept extensive genealogical records, especially when it came to the Messiah. And so they would have needed to see right off the bat how Jesus is tied with Old Testament uh, records and prophecies in this regard. John begins his gospel in eternity past because he's wanting to show Jesus as the Son of God who never had a beginning. Luke records the birth narratives revealing Jesus' humanity, showing from the very beginning that Jesus had very humble beginnings. Because Luke was writing out to the lowly, he was writing his gospel account to the lowly and the humble. Mark, on the other hand, is writing to Romans. The Romans didn't care one bit about genealogies. They could have cared less. They were people of action. And Mark is showing them how Jesus was a servant. A servant would have no genealogy. But Mark's going to show he's no ordinary servant. Uh, He is the Son of God, the suffering servant that the Old Testament spoke about. First thing I want you to see with me this morning, the announcement of Jesus is a message of good news. Notice how he begins, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The beginning Maybe Mark is making an allusion here to the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis begins by stating in the beginning. Well what Mark is trying to show is that through Jesus there is going to be a new beginning for the people of God. This is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the word gospel means good news. Now we use the word gospel in a couple of ways. We use it to refer to Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. The first four books of the New Testament. And certainly the word can be used that way. That's not the way Mark is using it. Gospel Uh, means here an announcement of good news and folks he is pointing out that Jesus Christ is good news for the Roman world it's not just good news for Israel it's not just good news for the Jews or even to the Greeks it's good news to the Romans too Jesus is good news for the entire world You know, our world is in desperate need of good news. And that's another reason I wanted to preach through Mark because he's concentrating on that. And you know, in the world we see people looking for good news in all the wrong places. And they might find good news temporarily, but you know what? It's going to fade because the bad news is just piling. Story on top of story, event on top of event that we're reading about in the news. And I mean, you just get sick and tired of seeing the news today because of all of the bad news. Folks, we desperately need good news. And where are you going to find good news that lasts? You're going to find it in Jesus. And Jesus is the subject matter of this good news. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's the subject. He's the reason we have good news. He's good news from God. Because he's the one God sent to bear our sin. And Jesus came to preach this good news... He came proclaiming this good news about himself and he is the subject of his message. Folks, it's very important to understand this. Jesus Christ is the message that the church has to tell. So many churches now are doing other things. Maybe pop psychology or self-improvement or whatever. So many services today are man-centered. But what we need to understand is that the Bible is all about Jesus Christ. And so when we come to church, when we have Sunday school lessons and sermons and singing and everything we do in church, it ought to be about Jesus. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. And you know, the Old Testament had built in this this wonderful expectation of a coming Savior. In the New Testament, the New Testament writers are announcing, he's here. He's finally here. The one that our forefathers have been waiting on for centuries. The one that the prophets have been writing about for centuries. Guess what? He's finally here. You and I are the ones that are getting to see him and touch him and listen to him and and witness his earthly life. He's here. That's what they're announcing. I remember a seminary professor that I had one time. He said one year in his daily Bible readings he decided that he was going to begin in Genesis 1-1 and he wasn't going to read any of the New Testament until he actually got there by reading all the way through the Old Testament. And he said as he's reading all through the Old Testament, he's he's like the Jews would have been. He's waiting, he's waiting, he's anticipating. He said time he turned in his Bible from Malachi to Matthew 1, it's like all of a sudden he was celebrating. He's here! He's finally here. And that's what Mark is proclaiming. Mark is announcing he's come. Folks, let's remember, let's make sure we remember what good news Jesus Christ is for a dark and a dying world. Billy Graham once said if he could do his ministry all over again, he would concentrate even more on the good news of Jesus I don't know how he could do that. I mean, that's what his ministry was about. But Billy Graham said, I would make it even more about my ministry if I could do my ministry over. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. Let's not forget that. And so he ought to be central in everything that we do. Even his name implies good news. The Greek is uh, Jesus. The Hebrew is Yeshua or Joshua. It refers to deliverance. And in this context, it literally refers to deliverance from sins. And so it means Yahweh is salvation. I think of Matthew 1, the angel telling them, You shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. By the way, Christ is not. Jesus' last name. Okay? Christos or Christ is the Greek rendering of the Hebrew Messiah. And so Jesus is the long awaited Messiah the Christ the Son of the Living God. Again this is good news. He entered into our dark world. He understands what it's like to walk in your shoes and face what you face in life. Because while being fully God, He's also fully man. And He came to walk and live on this earth just like you and I do. So not only would He save us from our sins, but He can understand our needs when we go before Him in prayer. He is our sympathetic high priest. He understands your needs. Folks, this is good news. Amen? Well, secondly, Jesus is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Look at verse 2 and 3. As it's written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Mark says, as it's written in Isaiah the prophet... Isaiah is sometimes referred to as the prince of the prophets because of how often Isaiah is speaking of the coming of the Messiah. I mean, folks, in many churches around Christmas time, think of all the sermons you hear out of the book of Isaiah Because Isaiah is talking over and over and over again about the coming of the Messiah. In fact, some people call the prophet Isaiah, the book of the prophet Isaiah, they call it the gospel of Isaiah. It's like we have a fifth gospel because Isaiah talks so much about the coming of Jesus. And Mark is quoting here, from Isaiah he's also quoting from Malachi chapter 3 and he puts Isaiah and Malachi together and it was common uh, usage back then or common practice back then that when you were quoting from two prophets you would only name the more prominent of the two that you were quoting and so that's what Mark is doing He's quoting from Isaiah and Malachi, but he says, as Isaiah the prophet says. Mark is talking about Jesus having a forerunner. And folks, the Romans would have understood the idea of a forerunner. You know what we need to understand? When we read about John the Baptist, we say, okay, John the Baptist was the forerunner. I get it. But we don't get it the way the Romans would have. Because you see, in the Roman world, when the emperor, when the Caesar or a king was going to go into a new place, a new city, there would be a forerunner who would go ahead of the king. And he would make sure that all the roads were cleared and ready. And he would go into all the cities and he would make sure that all of the cities were ready to host the coming king. And so Mark is showing that Jesus, is he's king of kings and lord of lords. And he has a forerunners, forerunner. The Romans would have understood that. It would have resonated with them. Third thing I want you to see, John the Baptist fulfills the role and action of the forerunner of the Messiah. Verse 4, Mark identifies John the Baptist as being the forerunner. Luke 1 is going to talk more about John the Baptist. The Bible says that John the Baptist would be like Elijah. In Matthew eleven eleven, Jesus said John was the Elijah who was to come and that he was the greatest among men. Now John, you'll remember, denies being Elijah. What John is denying is being the literal Elijah. John is saying, I'm not Elijah reincarnated or something like that. The Jews believed that Elijah would reappear. But Luke 1.17 clarifies that John came in the power and spirit of Elijah. And Jesus also clarified that. He told his audience, his disciples, he said, He is the Elijah who was to come if you can accept this. John was John the Baptist. Literally John the baptizer. Verse 4 says here he was baptizing in the wilderness. This would call to mind the wilderness in the Old Testament before the children of Israel even entered into the promised land. Verse 5 talks about all of the area, people from all around there going out to him. Folks, what's happening here is nothing short of a national revival going on. Imagine that, a national revival taking place and how wonderful that would be. And as they went out into the wilderness, no doubt it would be a reminder that it was in the wilderness where God had disciplined them and shaped them into the people ready for the promised land. Joshua led them then, and here is a new Joshua, a new deliverer, the one they've been waiting for, and John is getting you ready for his arrival. He's baptizing people. It's not the Christian baptism because remember in the book of Acts, John's disciples were rebaptized into Jesus. This right here is a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And we're told even about John's attire. He was clothed with camel's hair and he wore a leather belt around his waist. If you were to go back to 2 Kings chapter 1, you'd see that this is exactly how Elijah was identified. And also in Zechariah 13, we see that this was the garment of prophets. In Zechariah 13, it is talking about how a day would come that men would no longer put on a hairy garment in order to deceive, but they would make clear, I'm not a prophet. You see what uh, Zechariah is saying? There are some men who are fake prophets, and they put on the garment of prophets. And Zechariah is saying, there's coming a day when men aren't going to do that anymore. They're not going to put on the hairy garment and pretend to be a prophet when they're really not one. A hairy garment was often associated with being the clothing of a prophet. Jesus said, beware of wolves who come to you in sheep's clothing, dressed like prophets when they're really not Prophets. The prophets had a very distinctive dress. People knew who they were by the way they dressed. You could pick them out. You know, it's funny today how you get us preachers in some big crowd somewhere, some big conference, and we can pick out the pastors. That guy over there is a pastor. He's one. Oh, that guy must be an evangelist. We can tell by the way the suit he has on, the jewelry he has on, the hair, the <laughs> hairstyle, the hairstyle that he has. That's an evangelist right there. That guy's a preacher. We know the difference. It blows me away. How one time when our kids were little, we were down at the beach condo swimming in the pool. And there was I was I all I had on was swimming trunks that's all and swimming underwater and all around with my kids and there was another guy like that in the pool and he said where are you a preacher at? and I said huh? he said you're a preacher I can pick you guys out anywhere <laughs> he said because I'm one myself I said where are you a preacher? he said right uh, In in Matthews, First Baptist of Matthews, I said, I'm just up the road, uh, Pitts Baptist in Concord. That guy literally turned to his wife. He said, hey, honey, I told you that guy's a preacher. (laughs) How? I have no idea. John ate locusts and wild honey. According to Leviticus, locusts were the clean insects that you could eat. Actually, they contain a lot of minerals and and protein. So they would have been a, a healthy food, a clean food. I remember about 12 years ago going with a group of men out of our church to South Africa to work with John at J Life Ministries. And while we were there, he wanted to take us to a restaurant in town that had a big buffet. We get to that big buffet, and and I mean, you got, uh, you got big, fat, white worms and tomato sauce. Uh, those actually weren't too bad. They were actually the worms didn't have a whole lot of taste they were in stewed apples uh, uh, stewed tomatoes and onions and they actually weren't too bad you had impala that was pretty good that's kind of like deer meat uh, some of the guys tried puff adder puff adder that's literally what the snake calls is called it's one of the most venomous snakes in Africa uh, They call it puff adder because of the growling and puffing sound that it makes to to warn somebody you're getting too close. They had puff adder, and they said, Here, Scott, try some of this. I said, What's that taste like? They said, Well, imagine taking some beef liver and in the middle of the summertime laying it out on your driveway, your hot pavement, and and letting it spoil and rot in the sun for about two or three days. That's kind of what it tastes like. I said, No, thanks. I don't need to eat that. (laughs) John's diet was locusts and honey, very very healthy. But folks, I want you to notice what John says about himself. Verse 7. He preached saying, After me comes one who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I've baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John wanted no attention called to himself. John wanted it known he was pointing away from himself and to the coming Messiah. You know, elsewhere John's going to say, I must decrease, he must increase. Tell me, as a Christian, who are you wanting people to know? Are you wanting them to know you? Are you wanting to call attention to yourself in some way? Or are you wanting people to know about your Savior, the Lord Jesus? Who do you want people to know about? As ministers of the gospel, we're all ministers of the gospel. Folks, our lives ought to be about making much of Jesus. Does your life make much of Jesus? Do you have that attitude? I must decrease. He must increase. That ought to be our attitude. Yes, the Bible says respect and honor your spiritual leaders because of their work. Hebrews 13 says make sure you're a source of joy to your leaders, not a source of grief. But folks, in the final analysis, we're only servants. We're nobodies. Our lives and our messages are to point to Jesus. We're nothing without Him and we can do nothing apart from Him. As believers, your life doesn't need to be about you. You need need to put down the phone taking selfies of yourself. We live in a culture now, everybody's, everybody's obsessed with taking selfies about themselves. What is your life doing to make much of Jesus? You know, every time you're tempted to take your phone out and take a selfie of yourself, I want you to stop and think as you're doing that. Am I making much of Jesus? What do I need to do in my life to make more of Him? Verse 8, John points out, while he's only dunked people in water, Jesus will baptize them with the Holy Spirit. In other words, in and through Jesus, they're going to have inward transformation. God's going to change them from the inside out. All men can do is try to reach people from the outside in. But God's the one who can change people from the inside out. Aren't you thankful for that? So just kind of wrapping up, concluding. Mark wants to be sure he communicates Jesus is the beginning of the gospel. And the gospel is good news. And it's good news centering in a person. Who's going to be our Lord and Savior, the one who delivers us from our sin, our greatest need of all. We have many needs in our lives, folks. But the greatest need you and I have is to be made right with God. And it's Jesus who does that. Good news. Mark connects this with the Old Testament prophecies. Mark points out that Jesus, like an earthly Roman king, had a forerunner. And the forerunner himself made it clear he wasn't the focus. He only prepared people for the coming king. Let me give you some life lessons in closing. Number one, the gospel is good news. In your life, keep the focus on him. It's all about him. Do you need a relationship today with Christ? I mean, think about it, folks. All of the bad you've ever done in your life, all the sin that you've sinned against a holy God, in Jesus Christ, through Him, you can be forgiven of all that. Your sin can be washed clean, and you can be reconciled to a holy God. You can try all you want to to reconcile yourself to a holy God. And the Bible says all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags before God. Your justification doesn't come through trying to be good. Live according to the golden rule. Keep the Ten Commandments the best you can. All this stuff is going to point out is how far you have sinned. Against God's standards. Only Jesus can save. Am I speaking to somebody today? God's been trying to get your attention about that. You need a relationship with Jesus. Jesus will forgive you. He'll give you a new life. A new beginning. And he'll reconcile you to God. That's the hope you can have in your life as you walk out of here today. Second lesson, Jesus was not God's last minute plan. Folks, the entire Old Testament has been leading up to Him. The entire Old Testament speaks of Jesus. Do you remember how Jesus on the road to Emmaus, when those two disciples did not know who who the resurrected Christ was, Christ walked with them. And the Bible says he, He took the Scripture beginning with Moses and showed how all All that Moses wrote and all the prophets wrote, uh, everything was about him. And he opened their eyes to understand this. Jesus wasn't some last minute plan. He's the one the Bible is all about. A third life lesson I want you to understand today, turning from sin is vital to receiving Jesus. Folks, the Bible doesn't just talk about faith, it talks about repentance and faith. They're different sides of the same coin. Maybe you're here today thinking you can have a relationship with God on your own terms. It doesn't work that way. He's God and you're not. Some people want Jesus, but they want to keep their sin too. They're like, oh, I'd love to have a relationship with him. But you know what? I got these little pet sins. I got some sins over here in these particular closets of my life. And I kind of want to hang on to these things. And I want to have Jesus too. It doesn't work that way. You're going to hang on to your sin, a life of sin? Or are you going to turn to Jesus? Which is it going to be? Which is it going to be? Fourth life lesson, as we share the good news of Jesus, the messenger never becomes the message. Only Jesus is worthy to constitute the message. Folks, when you come to church, always make the message about Him. We might come for various reasons, sure, but don't forget He's the main reason. He's the reason we're here. You know, sometimes you'll hear people talk about, oh, I like this teacher, this Sunday school teacher. I don't like this one. I like this preacher. I, like, I don't like that. You know, Paul said to the Corinthians, the Corinthians were saying, oh, I, I like Peter, or I like Paul, or I like Apollos. I like this, and I like that, and don't like that one. Paul said, grow up. Quit sucking on a baby bottle. Take the diapers off and grow up. Who are we? We're just servants of Jesus Christ. It's all about Him. Make it all about him. And the last lesson, while the ministry of servants of God touch people on the outside, never forget Jesus transforms from the inside out. That sin that you struggle with, maybe you've tried to put band-aids on it trying to fix it. You're just trying to reform yourself and you can't do that. But Jesus can change you. He transforms from the inside out. So you need to ask Him today to help you do what you can't do on your own. I want to ask you to bow in prayer with me this morning. As you do, make this your prayer as we prepare to go through Mark. Say, Lord Jesus, Mark talks about the King coming. He's speaking about your arrival. And as you prepared people's hearts to receive you, Lord, prepare my heart to receive you. Prepare my heart to draw close to you as we go through Mark. Help me to grow to love you more and experience you more in my life. Would you make that your prayer? Lord, touch our hearts as we go through this powerful gospel. Seeing what only Jesus can do. Seeing his authority over all things. His ability to forgive sins. His ability to give new life. Because he's the one humanity was waiting for for so long. He's here. We're not still waiting. We're waiting for His second coming. We're not waiting for His first coming. He's already arrived. He's borne our sin. He was raised from the dead. He gives us new life and He's at your right hand and He's making intercession for us. Thank you, Lord, for doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. We worship you.